Hey, hey, welcome to the All Ground Up podcast, a place where founders, owners, and CEOs of managed service businesses can hear from industry veterans, subject matter experts, and business insiders on how they are navigating the latest era of MSP. I'm your host, Bill Tyndall, CEO of Tin Rose, a company founded with the belief that digital transformation happens from the inside out. Today, we're a growing platform and community for small to medium-sized managed service providers who are looking to evolve their approach and unleash a new wave of energy and innovation into their clients and teams. It hasn't happened overnight, and it certainly has not been easy, but it has been absolutely worth it to dive deeper into this industry. And we're so excited about the new wave of acceleration that is to come. Now, we want to help all of you who are looking to do the same. This is the All Ground Up podcast. Buckle up. We couldn't be more excited to launch this podcast. It truly has been a long time coming. It's been an incredible yet odd year so far for many. And I personally can't wait to see what the back half has in store for us. In today's discussion, I'll be talking with Gary Pika. Gary is a pioneer in the managed services field. He's one of Channel Pro's 20 industry visionaries and MSP mentors, most influential leaders. He has built and sold two top performing MSPs and today is the president of True Methods, a training, peer, and accountability firm aimed at helping IT solution providers reach their full potential as MSPs and cloud providers. In this wisdom-packed episode, We talk about companies trying to grow in organically on their own, what MSPs should be thinking about when considering merging with their friends, and one piece of advice that he thinks all MSP owners need to hear. So here we go. Today we have Gary Peek on the show. Super excited to have you on, Gary. Yeah, really happy to be here. It's uh, it's good. I'm glad we have gotten a chance to know each other over the last year or two. 100%. Yeah, it's been so fun being able to dive in a variety of different topics and spending time together. We'll start out and just dive in with like the first the first question that I'll I'll dive into, which is Gary, you've obviously been in the managed services industry for for quite some time. Many people who are listeners of this already have some level of background or understanding who you are, but I'd I'd love to take some time to to just hear your, the origin story of of Gary Pika. How did you end up in the world of IT? and and peer groups and true methods etc like I'd, I'd love to take time in here awesome yeah so i'll tell you a story that i don't really tell a lot i think like most people i was a accidental entrepreneur so i knew that i wanted to be you know i was in sales i worked for big companies like adp and i had some success but i always felt like there was more for me not that that's not a great long-term career for people because i have some friends that you know, followed that path and have had great careers, but for me, and um, I had a childhood friend who had an IT business, mainly fixing microcomputers and reselling things. And he was going through a divorce and, you know, really reached the point where he thought maybe he would give up the business, you know, because the way they were valuing the business, it was going to be worth more, right, to his soon-to-be ex-wife. And from that conversation, I said, well, it's like, you know, what if you had a partner? And he's like, well, who would I be partners with? I said, well, what if it was me? And I really didn't think it through at all. And that's kind of how I landed there. And then, you know, um, Billy, that's part of, of, I think, taking chances is timing. So that was like 1996. And by 2000, you know, the business started to stabilize and the tools started to come out and as soon as they did we started transforming our model and by the time i sold that business to mindshift uh in 2005 we were kaseya's largest msp worldwide we had the most endpoints you know deployed and so i learned something from that and then i started true methods and again pretty good timing right in terms of training people and building peer and then eventually building my it process for the VC, you know, for VCIO, it's a SaaS software, you know, for VCIOs and uh, got a chance to build another MSP during that time period and eventually sold to Kaseya. And um, today I still run our peer groups, like 400 MSPs worldwide. And I sit on the board of Nautic Partners, two of their platforms, VC3 and IT Solutions. So I get to see, I get to see the business from all angles, right? And that's really, and learn stuff. Like I'm still learning new things and, and it's it's really fun. That's incredible. And I, I can't wait to dive into some of the learnings that you've had through the work that you're doing with 
with Nautic and some of the some of the trends that you're seeing in the industry. But I think one area where I'm really interested to hear more from you is what was it like transacting on your the first managed service provider? And what how were people thinking about transactions back then? What was your experience like going through it? Because it's the first time anybody sells a business. I mean it's it's a journey in itself to go through that process. And I'm I'm curious to hear what the experience was like back then and how it's either similar or dissimilar from what you're seeing in the market today as well, talking about timing. Yeah, and it's both. Some things are very different now. Like I would have sold for more money <laughs> for one thing today based True. on it. But but I'll tell you what's funny. You know, I grew up in Levittown in a blue collar house and I never even met anybody who owned a business in my life. Yeah. And so when I got to that point where we started to get some offers, you know, it was hard for me to evaluate it. And I actually called a customer of mine who had sold a few businesses. He was a, he was older than he was an, older than me. And um, when I told him why I was calling, he said, I'll be there the next morning, like a lot of success, successful people are. And he said, show me the deal. And he looked at it and said, take the deal. He's, I'm like, well, I didn't even show you my multiples, my EBITDA, because I know a little bit about your business. He said, Gary, I'm going to tell you something now. It's going to be hard for you to understand. You can go a little bit further and make the business more valuable, but time is a commodity. And the minute that wire transfer, it might not be as much as you want, but when it hits your bank account, your relationship with money is going to change forever. And you're going to make, yep. make way more money on your next deal than you will on this one take the deal before they change their mind. And, um, you know, I, I took the deal. I did my earn out. It, it, the, they sold to Best Buy. I started True Methods. I had some success and I called them back and I said, you probably don't remember this conversation, but everything happened exactly the way you told me it would. You know, today what I see is if you want to sell your MSP, you can get guidance. There's a lot of people out there. I mean, I, I talk to our peer members. It comes up at least once or twice a month where they reach out. And I can give them perspective on how to look at it in their life and how to evaluate it. Feel like there's just so many more ways, not just to know whether the dealer is good or bad, but is it good or bad for you? Where are you today? How old are you? What do you want to do? What's your net worth outside the business? Where will this get you to? What choices? Will you have more or less choices? Like there's so many things that consider when you think about it. Yeah. Well, and so this is actually an area that I'd I'd love to double click for a second because as and you know you you know a little bit about my background. Spent a lot of time in the venture space, specifically looking at the automation of back office infrastructure. And now obviously living inside of the world of MSPs. But something I, I continue to hear and I continue to see going back to this idea of help is unlike when you build a venture-backed business where you have a board, there aren't just de facto resources that you end up with in this space. And just to maybe talk for a second about like the inception of, of True Methods and what you do, like where where do people in the space, who do they call today? Like if I'm if I'm an MSP, and somebody reaches out trying to buy my business like what do you what are you advising people that aren't working with with true method already like that don't know gary today like where do people find where do people find these resources today so the first thing i go down in levels one i feel like whether it's you know i'm not here to you know promote uh you know true methods whether it's whether it is you know our true peer our peer group or another industry peer group. I think being part of an industry peer group is really important. Or at least if you're not gonna do that, right? Get out to events and community. Like the answers are not inside your office. You know, go to some of the, of the MSP centric events, meet some people, make relationship, like build a network of people. And if you do that now, you'll meet people that have bought or sold businesses. You can make a relationship who will be happy not only will they help you, they'll point you to two other people that help them. And so you really need to be out there, in, in, you know, in, in the community. And, and it's just super important to get perspective. Yeah. I mean, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. We, we talk a lot about this concept of the importance of context in, in all things and how context shapes perspective. And while we like to think that we can form that on our own, the reality is, is people people 
help you to form that. And you can't do it in the silo for, for any of this stuff. I'm curious. So, so looking at that, you had, you had this, this client that came in, helped you through your first process selling, you transacted successfully there. You went on to build a number of other businesses. And now obviously you're helping hundreds of founders and managed service providers to really navigate the growth of their own businesses. I'm curious how things have shifted over time with how people are looking at MSPs. Like we've seen the transition of the break fix models into recurring revenues. We're seeing the the shift towards looking at how are we thinking about creating new opportunities to increase average revenue per user to drive gross margin. I'm curious to see hear from you and what you're seeing inside of the community, where some of these areas of focus are. And then as people are thinking about one, just continuing to scale on their own. Like, what are some of the areas where you're seeing people find a lot of success today in in continuing to just grow it on their own? Like, how how are we how are we growing the industry right now from like an organic perspective? What are you saying? Yeah, it like it's almost like there's a couple different MSP industries, and I see yeah. it across my peer group. Like, I see the people that have matured their business and their thinking, and I'll tell you what they're doing and what's happening. Then I see people that are, are, are see it but aren't there yet, and then I see a lot of people that just don't see it yet, Billy. Yeah. And they're running, they have more tools, but they're running a pretty similar business in terms of size and growth and margins yeah. that they were five or seven years ago. So it's almost, and they all have a different experience and expectations about what they think is possible, right? And if you tell someone who's in that last category that they could sell for $350 a seat, they will tell you no. And then I'm watching our peer group members' emails every day closing deals, right? Yep. In the same markets, right? So I feel like the more mature MSPs we deal with, the ones that are, you know, that are have growth and, and, and increasing margins, the good news is like there's a hook that everybody can use around security. Security has really changed the relationship that MSPs have with their customers. When I had my first MSP, we worked really hard to become strategic and build value, but it was hard work. A lot of businesses didn't really care about technology. Now they all care about it and they understand it. They're investing more in it. So they know they have to get ROI and they know there's risks. So all of a sudden, MSPs have become interesting, right? And they want to meet with us and they want to meet with us at an executive level. And so taking advantage of that and really building, you know, a mature offering, both strategic as well as, you know, secure, what I would call security first MSPs really having a lot of success they're selling the most recurring revenue and they're selling it at the highest prices and they're building their enterprise value you know you know pretty quickly so but there's but what i'm sharing every meeting now with our peer members is we had to get prepared because i think there's another change coming that's going to be bigger than the change we had from breaking fix to msp and the way i look at it is although we've stretched our business model we really haven't changed it. In other words, we still, the main part of what we do is tools, support, and projects. Like that hasn't changed. Yep. And now with AI, RPA, all, all these different things that hit automation, I don't think our role in support and projects is gonna be the same in three to five years. So that is like, I use the example of, you know, there was a massive industry around harvesting and then manufacturing ice for a hundred years and they evolved. But then when refrigeration came along, they died because it was a change in the, in the business model. We haven't had that shift yet. And I believe it's on the horizon for the first time. Where do you see? So I, I, I love this. I love this topic as, as you know, I agree. I think that things are fundamentally going to change over the next five to 10 years. And, and even sooner than that, we're seeing some of that impact now. How do you talk to MSPs about getting ready for that? Like if I'm, if I'm a three to $5 million managed service provider in, in New York listening to this, how am I thinking about looking for this change or how can I start 
opening up our my my team's minds to think about like okay how do we how do we embrace change and how do we become what i call the hammer versus the nail how do we look at driving impact and getting ahead of it versus being impacted as everything starts to change yeah again i think you have to be part of the community so you stay up yeah. to date what are other msps look to some of the bigger msps who can invest what are they doing watch the vendor landscape because we see the rumblings come from the when you go through the the hall and you see new vendors and you see what you see what they're doing so i think education is the first thing the second thing is to look at your business from two perspectives one what are the things that we're doing that that could potentially be impacted and what are some of the things that we can do today like internally i look at it at these levels one is is there automation where tickets come in and they can be you know partially or completely done then the next step is well can we not have them happen can, can we just completely not even have a ticket i want to get out of the ticket business i don't even like the word you know ticket and then the big one billy is to think about you know information right power bi and you think about you know rpa automate like ai how is it going to affect our customers and will is there a place where we can have a role somewhere in that that's what i continue whenever i'm evaluating something for my msp i'm evaluating from that perspective because if we get one of those that can change our business model if the same customer that spends six thousand dollars or four thousand dollars a month with us now will spend two or three thousand for one of these related services that impact their business that's transformative yeah i mean i i couldn't agree more when I, I bucket it into the broader category that, that we always talk about is digital transformation. Like historically, digital transformation for us has been the move from on-prem into the cloud, the move right. into away from homegrown software into this this large cloud-based infrastructure out of the box. Yep. But now, now with a lot of the technology and and automation is a huge piece, but also data and insights. How do we help how do we help companies to compete in their own industries? But I think going back to something that you and I have talked a lot about and going back to MSPs looking to make change, the reality is, is we also have to drink that Kool-Aid and realize that we have to be upgrading, so to say, as an industry as well. And how are MSPs thinking about digitally transforming themselves to be able to keep up? Yep. How are they looking at data? How are they looking at those insights? Yeah, and, uh, and really thinking about it, MSPs like to think in terms of saving time and saving time mm -hmm. is great, but how do we do things better? I mean, yep. part of the issues we have with security is now we have, you know, 10 techs and they all onboard a customer 10 different ways. Right. Yep. And so we create all this asymmetry that creates, you know, risk. So I think of it as like, how do we do things better with tools and automation? Then how do we, you know, look at efficiency and i measure efficiency as an msp and something a term we use in in our coaching benchmarking called leverage how much service revenue do you generate per employee because ultimately more than margins that without all the different math people use that's math everybody can do and a lot of people make a lot better msps and they do a lot of things better except their leverage is no better so their margins never change i don't know that that's better yeah, I totally agree. I internally we refer to this as the expansion of the capacity model, the yeah. capacity of an individual to do more tasks. How can I take somebody from doing ten tasks yesterday to twenty tasks tomorrow? And when you think about doing that, one of the biggest areas to to dive into some of the organic growth related stuff is one of the big questions is is well, how can I acquire new customers without having to linearly scale my talent? with it. And one of the big areas around that is, is figuring out ways to be expanding the capacity of team members. Automation is going to be a huge part of that. But even, even before that, something that you said that I, that really rings true in terms of what, what I see is the scary fact that if you have 10 techs onboarding 10 clients, you will potentially get 10 different results. And something that we talk a lot about 10 is different results. Yeah. And it's, it's the importance of, and, and I recognize as somebody, I have ADD and I always thought for the longest time that 
structure was my prison. And, but the reality is, is what I, what I came to realize, and we just actually funny enough wrote a post about this not too long ago, was that having structure and standard operating procedures is actually what allows one to take a step back to have the creative freedom to be thinking about this. If, if you're trying to think about how 10 people are going to get the same result when they're doing it 10 different ways, like that's, that's a lot of mental energy, not only going into figuring out how those jobs are going to get done, but also to managing the outcomes. I'm, so I'm curious to hear how you talk about and how you think about the importance of standard operating procedures for, for MSPs and, and what are some just like easy, easy wins for an MSP who's been shooting from the hip, so to say, which we all do in different capacities. But what are what are some some interesting things that that you promote when talking with MSPs around data integrity and standard operating procedures? Like how how can I just get even a percent better at that? Yeah, that's funny. You know, uh, I was talking with um, last week with Aaron Chernin. He's the CEO of uh, Roost, their RPA platform, and um, he was saying one of the challenges they have, especially with the less mature MSPs is that you know they automate process and they almost have to help some of the MSPs build the process because they don't have the process. You can't automate yep. something you don't have. You know yep. what I mean? So step one, like you said, before you even get to any types of automation is, do I have process? And do I do process what I, at, at the right level of detail? Because to me, there's a sweet spot with process and get 80% of it and go, don't shoot an ant with an elephant gun because complication will, will make process have the exact opposite result or it doesn't get used, you know, uh, whatsoever. And what I say is I look at the business into, you know, delivery areas, support, your uh, delivery of your centralized services, your what I call TAM, technology alignment, you know, your, or you could call it compliance, your VCIO, your professional services, go into each of those and ask yourself, what does good look like, right? Like what defines efficiency and quality? And then what are the process? So like start at that level and work down to get to the key. You know, you don't have to define a hundred processes. There might be seven in each area that, that, that really make an, you know, really make an impact. And then how will you define success? You mentioned half of like for support, you mentioned half of what I would think of, which is, you know, how do we get, ultimately, how do we get someone to do 20 tasks instead of 10? Really, if I think about it, what I want a support person, what I really care about at the top level is how much recurring revenue can they touch? How much recurring revenue can I add? And that means mm -hmm. how many seats can they manage once in each role? Support, we're talking about support. How much? How many seats can they manage? And what do we charge per seat? That is the levers. And then how many seats can they manage? Go down to how many tickets per month per seat get created? And how many tickets can the average person close? So you mentioned this. I climb kind of up the ladder. And when you start to see it that way, the next level down is, okay, what are the process and procedures that support those metrics? And you probably don't have to go any lower than that. Like you're already so ahead at that point of almost every MSP, you'll dominate the industry. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with that. I, I, so I'm curious to, to flip over on to outside of looking at increased margins and efficiency, looking at process. So if I have two $5 million managed service providers, or let's say $10 million managed service providers, numbers irrelevant, but as, as whether it's our friends over at Evergreen or New Charter or Nordic, anybody who's looking at this space, so to say, like how, how would you think about quantifying the importance of process? to a potential for a potential acquirer looking at my managed service provider so when i look at deals right when i look at M msp deals and i look at them all the time i already know where they are with process based on their results yeah. like i can look at what their gross margins are i can see what price per seat they're able to command like you know, people always want to, you know, they put a deck together when they're trying to sell and they want to tout their NPS score. I'm like, 
I don't care about your NPS score. Like what's your average seat price? Cause that has a lot, like your customers may like you, do they value you? And they don't value you unless you have process because you can't deliver consistent value. And in this business, I'll tell you, if you can't control your cost per seat for support, in other words, if you can't drive down the tickets and drive up, you know, like uh, that capacity you talked about to lower your cost per seat, you don't have enough of your seat cost to put into high value things like new tools, like the uh, true proactive alignment, VCIO, and you won't command that price. So it's almost like I can look at four or five metrics and I can tell you whether they have process in place or not, because you can't get to those metrics without having process and procedures in place. And, yeah. and if you I mean, don't have, you don't get there. Yeah, that's so true. That's, that's actually a really interesting way of looking at it. I, so when, when you're looking in, so price per seat, what am I commanding? Potentially what's, what's inside of that price per seat, so to say. What are some of the things that if I'm an MSP and I'm trying to bundle in, like I've, I've seen MSPs bundling in everything from field services, on-site services into that core recurring revenue. What do you advise for people who are looking to figure out how to create a higher average revenue per user? Like what are, what are some of the areas we've talked about cybersecurity? I think that it's, it's such a huge piece right now. When you look at the vast majority of cyber attacks over the last two years, over 70% of them have been on what I'd consider to be the core customer profile of most managed service providers. Mm -hmm. But what are, what are some of these other areas that managed service providers, you're already seeing them either start to come into, or as we were talking about some of these new areas where people are going to be able to be providing value to their customers. How can I be thinking about getting that my average revenue per user up? So like, let's again, let's stage up to it. Step one depends on where your starting point is. Like if you're 150 a seat or less today, you got to start with the basics. Like you don't have to think about like adding a ton of new services. You got to build out your security offering. You have to build out your, what I would call the proactive part of your business. You start to have like a hundred percent dedicated proactive roles or function because that's how you when you uncover pain at a customer which msps are pretty good at that the way you describe the solution to the pain is by showing them that you have roles in process that address that and they're willing to make the investment in that so to me if you're there if you're if you're above that and you're a little bit more mature, now you can really start to, you want to really double down on your what, what the role of a VCIO really is. Most VCIOs are really account managers, right? Yeah. They're reactive. They deal with other issues, truly proactive. They're putting together strategic roadmaps, getting to know those businesses. And now, as you start to want to develop other things, it might be automation, it might be BI, it might be things around integrations that they need you'll be the first to be able to offer them because you control that mind share, you know, with the customer and there's no one else to do them for them, Billy, until we can figure it out. Like the big, you know, if you're a big company, you know, there's big consulting firms to come in and do that work. There are no consulting firms that are going to be knocking on the door of the kind of customers we deal with under 500 seats. Yeah. 100%. To me, a big, a big thing that we talk a lot about is this concept of, generally speaking three pillars that we that we believe exist in this industry which is the the assessment of infrastructure the deployment of that infrastructure and the management of that infrastructure and so so much of this comes down to trust how how do you build trust and that relationship for businesses who need the digital transformation resources like as you were saying uh kpmg isn't doing work for the the 30 to 50 person shop you know, I mean, people just don't have that kind of budget. Like it is the managed service providers who are going to be responsible for the transformation of this category. And I, I agree, there's so much, there's so much open in that. And so I guess, I guess an area that I, I'd really love to dive into with you going on and tailwinding on some of these topics is there's a lot of, there's a lot of consolidation happening in this industry. There's a lot of people looking at, figuring out how to expand their reach. 
And a question that comes up in a lot of conversations with my friends in the, on the MSP side is, well, how do I, how do I compete? As, as people are trying to service more customers, they're coming into my markets. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot of people have these conversations of, hey, do, do I think about selling? Do I potentially acquire other managed service providers myself? Do I merge with a buddy from a peer group, et cetera? Yeah. I'm curious to hear, to start into this part of a, a conversation, what you're hearing and what you're seeing in terms of how people yeah. are thinking about competing in this industry right now. Um, Because you have some pretty sizable players out there right now between Thrive and Nordic and Evergreen and New Charter. I mean, there's a lot of people coming into this industry with a lot of money that are that are stirring up a lot of noise for smaller MSPs that are trying to compete. And scale is an advantage for the first time. It never was before. Scale wasn't an advantage. But now in a bunch of different areas in human resources and in finance, in centralized services and automation like those, like there's a. Uh, um, sales and marketing. So there's a bunch of areas where scale is a competitive advantage. And up until I'm going to say maybe three or four years ago, I didn't really see it that way, you know, the way it is now. So I want to touch on all the things you mentioned, because I see all that happening, MSPs deciding where to go and and what we tell them. But I want to just, there's one thing you said that I have to, I have to uh, add something to your pillars. I love your pillars, the three pillars. I think you have to add a fourth pillar. Interesting. And that is, you know, you you assess, you know, you deliver and manage. But the big one now is, and then how do we show customers how to leverage it? We never had to do that before, right? We didn't yep. care. Like we, I, I started out putting in Novell Networks. We didn't care what app they put on it. Our job was to keep that thing running. But today, technology is so intermingled with their digital transformation that the money is where okay, i got this big investment and it's secure and you're keeping it running how do i use it in my business like how, how does it become a force multiplier in my business yeah. and if you if they think you can help them a little bit with that they don't care what they pay you and they yeah. got to pay you because I'll, I'll tell you before i answer your other question there's one number i look at first when i look at an msp I look at their average ARR. I want to know what their average customer spends with them. And I want to see the distribution because when it comes to profitability and also sales, anything below like $3,000 a month is probably not sustainable as you scale. So, so here, here's what I see all the time. Now people saying when like, you know, they watch all these videos about like how the multiples go up as your EBITDA goes up. And they want to engineer their way into more EBITDA. Well, it's like, okay, well, if my if I make five hundred thousand a year, and my buddy from my peer group makes five thousand, together we'll make a million. And instead of getting paid three x, we'll get paid seven x, right? And on yep. some level, a lot of that is true. But in 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 theory, in practice, what I always tell, and I'm going to talk to you to uh, the way I talk to my members which is who you barely can run your MSP. Now you're telling me you know how to integrate companies and put them together and now value. How dare you? <laughs> so I see a lot of people who either make an acquisition, they have an engine, they're adding some customers, they want to grow faster. They're a $5 million MSP. They merge or buy a $3 million MSP. For two years, they, don't, they, they kill their organic engine. They're involved in all these issues they didn't see come in. And there's it's just way more complex than that, man. Like it's a different skill set turning a wrench than running an MSP. And it's a different skill set of putting MSPs together to acquire and integrate. And I've sat on several boards. Like I I I I do this right all the time. And I've seen so many successes and failures. So what I would tell people is. I wouldn't say not to do that, but you better have your eyes open. You better have talked to some people that have done it before to know where some of the pitfalls are to make sure that you understand because running a $10 million MSP is completely different than a 5 million. And if you go from five to 10 through acquisitions in a year, 
it's not enough time to, you're not qualified and you're not going to yep. be qualified in six months. Eventually you could be, but you better decide how you're going to handle and handle and deal with that. But here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing people get acquired, right? I'm seeing people merge. I'm seeing people take investment to try to acquire companies. All the things you mentioned at a, you know, at a rate that's much, much higher uh, than it was even a couple of years ago. We're like, if you look at the private equity investment in, I'm not going to say the channel, take the software companies out of it for a second in MSPs. If it was a baseball game, I think we're like in the third inning. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. One question that I'm, I'm spending a lot of time on right now is, so I, I totally agree with you. And, and as somebody who's been an operator and built a couple of companies, gone through a, a couple of transactions. The reality is, is operating versus trying to acquire and integrate very, very different worlds. And I, I think that that's a really humbling realization for a lot of people when they when they dive in. Where What are resources for people? Like peers, peers are everything in this. Talking with people who have gone through transactions with different types of groups. But are there are there resources that MSP founders can be looking at, like how outside of going to YouTube and YouTubing, how to how do I integrate my business with somebody? Like where where can people find resources for this stuff, or does it exist at all? If it is, I have not found it. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's so different for every business. Yeah. Some of the things are the same in every business, but advice that I would give people is uh, loyalty is good to your team. I have people been with me 25 years. I'm a very loyal person, okay? But at the same time, when if you really want to scale, if you want to, you know, if, if you ever read the book Blitz Scaling, right? Mm -hmm. But if you, if you really want to scale your business and you want to do it through different means than you've done, a different type of sales go-to-market, uh, maybe some acquisition, like things you've never done, you got to find people who have done that. You got to bring people in with experience. You can't expect all your great people that you love to grow fast enough. Like it's not going to happen. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. So that's what How? I would do. Go find, go look for people. If you, if you're a $5 million organization and you want to do this, go find someone who's run a $20 million service organization. Even if it wasn't an MSP, interview them. See how they talk about things. See if when you tell your plan, they start to tell you the pitfalls and what they've been through. That's the kind of people you need to invest in to bring into your business. Yeah. And so when, when you're thinking about bringing them in, is this, because one, one of the big areas that we talk about a lot is from what I've seen with the MSPs that we know and, and spend a lot of time and work with, large gap in the management areas of these organizations. Mid-level management's really, really difficult to cultivate. And so if, if I was an MSP looking to scale, would you be recommending that I bring somebody like that on as a mentor? Should I be trying to hire somebody like that to uh, be my right-hand man or woman, so to say? Like as I'm, as I'm actually thinking about getting to that next level, is this a, an internal resources conversation? Is this building an advisory board? Like how, how can I set myself up for success to start to scale from five to 10 million? Because so many of us plateau at that, at, that, at that level. Yeah, and then 10 million, if you're lucky enough to get there, that's where MSPs go to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I get that. Well, one thing I'd say is really focus on, on profitability because you can't do any of that if you're running at you know 10% after owner salary. You don't yeah. have the money to invest in anything. So, you know, first run a good business, like know yeah. your business. That's the platform for anything else you want to do. Then based on where you are in your resources. Yeah. See, sometimes it's as easy as starting with, you know, finding an advisor, someone who's worked with other companies, right. Have done what you want to do. And, and then they can help guide you in the terms of how and when to make those investments. I mean, look, you and I had this conversation last week and you know, I can tell you've done this before because I asked you what your primary role is and you said talent acquisition. So you see it. You, the success of what you're doing is completely dependent on building out those people that are ahead of the business. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. At the, at the end of the day, 
it doesn't matter if you're an AI company or if you're an MSP or if you're a plumbing company, we're all people businesses. And both the internal cultivation of that of those people as well as figuring out the external resources to help us get to the next level. I mean, it's imperative, which actually is a, a topic that I think is really interesting while we while we still have a little bit of time. I'm curious to hear your perspective on the concept of executive coaches in this space. Something I, I didn't give myself to have permission for a long time is a resource for myself. I, I thought, hey, I should be able to do it all on my own. You know, I've got to, I should just know more. I'll read more. What's your, what's your take on executive coaches? And is that something that you recommend for, for MSP leaders that you work with? Yeah. You know, what's interesting. So I can tell you that I've had a coach for, you know, 10 years, more, more than, you know, more than 10 years. I see operational folks. I don't see a lot of executive coaching in our space. As I moved into the software space and I deal with a lot of software startups and software at CEOs, almost, I guess, because now they have people that are investing money in them. They're like almost required. Like all of them have, yeah. like many of them have an executive coach because many of us don't have investors, right? Yeah. The average MSP, we're not pushed in, we're not really pushed in that direction. You know, and it could start as easy for MSPs. You find a scaling up or an EOS coach, right? Yeah. To at least, if you don't have a good business planning process and the way you look at things and run the company, like that's a good that's a good way to walk, right? You're not crawling, you're walking. You're not running, but you're walking. And then that can lead you to, you know, finding a world where you'd have maybe a coach that's a little more strategic. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And going back to the investor side, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if, if you've officially taken in external capital, you have a fiduciary duty in a lot of ways to be a next version of yourself. And as you get into hyperscaling, as you were saying, running a $5 million business is very different than a $10 million business. And you'll quickly scale out of yourself. Like to me, executive coaches are a really important piece if for anybody trying to scale their business. We, we all fundamentally have to change in order to do that. It, you know, it actually I, see a lot of, I see a lot of software startups in the space. They find their way to me. Yeah. And when I talk to them, what I'm looking at them, all they want to do is get me to the demo and they want to tell me how they were an MSP, they had a problem and this solves the problem. And I, and they get offended sometimes when I stop them and say, got it. I don't need to see another feature. Can I answer some questions about your plan? Uh, let's just say this is the best thing since sliced bread, the best technology since sliced bread. Great, you're 20% of the way there. Can we talk about the other 80%? And some of them proceed, and I see, I see potential in them, but a percentage of them, they just don't get it, and they want to go back to show me you know, one more thing. And I say, well, they're probably going to have a lot. So being self-aware, I think, is really, really important. Trying to you know, say to myself, look, I've been an MSP for eight years and I'm a million and a half dollars MSP. I don't have the margins I want. Can I just say that I'm a good, smart, hardworking person, but I don't know how to build the company that I want to build, or I already would have built it. What should I do? How do I go out? How do I get out in the community? How do I join a peer group? How do I find a coach? How do I go? And then when I get there, listen, listen. I love that. I love that. And we'll, so being that we we have 10 minutes left, I'd love to I'd love to turn it over into a rapid fire just on some some questions that that I think are really great. And and this actually dovetails really nicely into the first one that I wanted to do. What do you think if there was one role that you think that most MSPs are missing that they should be looking to hire? What would you say the one role that that should be existing in this industry and just doesn't right now is? however we want to put it it's go to market it is having resources completely focused on go to market i can't tell you the unlimited amount of msp leaders that when i ask them what's the most important thing is to grow and then when i ask them a couple questions they have no resources and no accountability on growth it's like well it's the most important thing and you don't have any things around it that make anything successful right yep 
I, I couldn't agree more. And, and to confirm and just double click on that, when you think about the go-to-market, are you thinking not just not just hiring an account executive to go and do the sales, but but getting the founders themselves out of being the sales leader position and looking at sales le go-to-market leadership as well? Yes, absolutely. Listen, it depends on where they are. If they're not selling anything, then they got to get they got to get going and invest in some some things to get them in front of you know prospects and make sure they have an offering that they can actually close business. But after that, doing something that used to be really hard to do, not many MSPs hired and managed a successful sales team. You're seeing it done at scale now by a number of companies, and the reason why is what we started with, which is people kind of understand what we're talking about. And we can have a different kind of conversations. It's more tangible what we sell than it was five or six years ago. So once you get to five or six million, if you can't do that, you can't get. And that's the other thing. You know, we're. Uh, I, I looked at an acquisition. You know, they got a great sales engine, and you know, it's managed by the by the founder, but it's not executed in total. Like, and I'm like, that's really valuable. You have my attention, right? Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I think that figuring as well out how to separate yourself as a as a founder or CEO or a co-founder of that process is imperative to be able to again take a step back and figure out well how can the how can we make this process better? How can we change the experience? There's so much to focus on. But if you're running both of those aspects yourself, something's going to end up getting dropped. Either your existing customers or the acquisition of new customers. Yeah. If there is one piece of advice that you think all MSP founders need to hear right now. What would you what would you say that is? Oh, that's easy. Raise your price. <laughs> uh, let me let me rephrase that. Raise your value. Yep. Figure out how to be more value and increase that. Because if not, the resistance, not understanding your cost, I call that economics, not understanding your unit costs and not having the right margins is so great that even though you're going to fix a hundred things, you're walking through molasses. And that's why people get stuck at these revenue levels. I love it. I love it. Increasing your value. Totally true. Running a business is brutal. As you know, how do you take care of yourself? So I haven't always been as good at it. I'm a little better at it now uh, than I was. And I'll tell you as a young business person, you know, when I was in my, 30s and, and early 40s, I didn't always have balance. Like I had my family and my job. It's why I stink at golf. That's why I'm not better at guitar. And what I learned over time is a couple things. I thought that that drive and putting everything else before me was made me successful, but it turns out it was just my anxiety. Do you, do you know what I mean? And that I, I say this all the time. Yeah, Thanks. what makes has made me successful is not my time, it is my knowledge. So spending time on becoming a better business person, enabling others in their leadership, showing them what accountability looks like and how to get things done allowed me to build better, you know, including today, to build more organizations better and be able to kind of prioritize myself at at the same time. And, and you know, if I could go back and talk to myself, you know, 20 years ago, I don't know that I would have listened to me. Do you know what I mean? Because I think I felt like yeah. I could order pizza better than other people. But if I could try, right, and say, listen, knucklehead, you got to, you know, this is what your talent is. And it's not all that other stuff of making people put up with you. <laughs> yeah. I, so one, I, I talk about this a lot. And we, I think we spoke about this either on our last call or, many times ago, but such a, such a common tool is what I'm going to refer to it as is so many, so many founders use anxiety as the tool. I, I, I talk about, I used to wake up at five o'clock in the morning, just on, and I'd get up, I decided that I was going to go straight into work because although I, I thought that I needed to work out, still made sense to, to just go and start working. And and I always thought that that was my superpower, but it turns out that's just called anxiety. And, and while it's a really, really strong tool that can catapult us forward, 
it actually can prevent us from seeing and create a lot of blind spots from helping us to be able to take a step back and figure out these other areas where we can be building and generating value internally. And so what we were talking about earlier that I, I love from a perspective of yours is context, perspective. That's conversations with peers, that's reading, that's engaging, that's helping other founders. Like that's how I have found myself as well to, to find a lot of growth. And it's uh, it's something that the industry is really, really looking for as well. And, and that's why I love with things like True Methods as well. Listen, um, I, we, we get a framework, we teach people, but I think my job is really this is to have people have perspective on their life and their business. I called it, I lived a bunch of years in my business career with a um, generalized feeling of impending doom. And, yeah. and I thought it was, again, my superpower, after I sold my company and then I said, well, now I gotta start a new company and I, I can't. And then once True Method started to be successful and I kind of moved money out of the way. Do you know what I mean? And I yeah. thought to myself, wow, wait a minute. All the things that I said were making me feel this way. I, I'm one by one, my kids are getting older and I'm moving them all out, but I still, it, it wasn't external factors. It, it, it was me and only I could, you know, could, could fix it. And it was more reading and more talking to people, more of the same process. Truth, truth. And then last question that we'll wrap with talking about reading. Is there a single book that comes to mind either personally or professionally that, that you felt has generated a lot of influence in your life? A, a lot of them, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one. If it pertains to what we're talking about, what I have learned in coaching people for all these years, it's by Gay Hendricks and it's called The Big Leap. And basically the premise of The Big Leap is that in life, we all only have one problem to solve. It's the upper limit problem. We all have some limit of success, money, love, peace that we think we deserve based on everything that's happened to us in our life and how we've treated ourselves and other people have treated us. And once we get to it, we find a way of sabotaging it ourselves. And I've watched it play out. Like I get to see people's numbers and see them in person, some of them for 14 years, who just when they're ready, you think they're ready to get there, you know, they lose their best customer, they lose their best employee, they go through a divorce. And at first you think it's bad luck. But when I read it, it made me understand myself and others so much better. I love it. I love it. And with that, we'll, we'll wrap. I, Gary, I could not have enjoyed having you on as much as I have. I'm sure that we'll end up having to do part two of this at some point, but thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Anytime I'm happy to be here. Great interview, by the way. Good job.